This is the Oklahoma Talking Company. Welcome to the Power Sports Podcast. I'm Jason Baffrey, and here with me is Eric Colvin, and Jake Latimer is back in studio with us today. And we have all kinds of things to talk about, uh, not the least of which is we got to go out and ride some motorcycles the other day. Uh, Eric and I did. We were up at Iron Nation Harley-Davidson, and uh, our good friend Monty Ketch hooked us up with a brand-new 2017 you know, they we've earned some trust now that they actually put us on a bike that uh, is sitting on the showroom floor and uh, brand spanking new. But we rode the uh, 2017 Road King with the Milwaukee 8 engine. And uh, we appreciate Iron Nation Harley-Davidson having us out and letting us ride their motorcycles, especially now that they let us ride a, a brand new one because that was really cool. And uh, we also got to ride a... Uh, the Harley-Davidson switchback, and uh, we, we did a little comparison ride, but uh, we're going to tell you all about that, and you can see some video of that on the, on the website and on our Facebook page and everything, but uh, Jake, how's it going? <laughs> good, good. Uh, happy to be here. <laughs> I caught you, here. caught you completely off yeah, guard. Yeah, yeah, I was asleep. No. Uh, <laughs> pleasure to be here. No, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, it's always great to have you in, and we uh, we want to talk a little bit of racing stuff, and uh, we'll talk a little bit. I mean, we've talked about the VDTRA event that happened a few weeks ago, but we want to get kind of your perspective on it as well, and uh, and then also talk about what's, what's coming up. But Eric, um, the Harley-Davidson, brand new Milwaukee 8 engine and it is the the new generation the next step for harley davidson and uh i think that we were both pretty surprised and impressed by the overall package that we we found there that is an understatement isn't it it is thing was that thing is a huge leap forward for harley davidson yeah so if you're not familiar harley davidson uh, came out with with a new engine combination it is called the milwaukee 8 it is a 107 cubic inches and uh so that's a they've been making strides increasing the cubic inch over the last few years and uh, but this is a, a totally new engine configuration and you can really tell i mean it the it, power is a lot better is yeah it not? The, the power is better but the the way that the engine uh, sits in the chassis is completely different. The the way that it makes the bike feel is completely completely different. It is it is a an entirely new Harley Davidson. It's vastly improved. So we uh, we got a chance to ride the Road King, and we got a chance to ride the Switchback. And the Switchback has the the 103 cubic inch engine, the previous generation. Right, and it's more of the standard Dyna old style twin cam kind of motorcycle. Yeah, uh, so it, it's it was fine. A, a little bit of apples, nice. apples to oranges. I mean, you looking at them side by side, and you can see the pictures at the website. But uh, side by side, I mean, they look similar. They both have uh, bags on them and, and that sort of thing. And you could almost say a switchback is like the little brother to the Road King, but that's not even really being fair because the the switchback is a Dyna. It's a cool bike if you want to get into uh, have something that is adaptable. Uh, you can have it as a cruiser. Or the reason they call it the switchback is you can, like, take the bags. It's got hard bags on it, and you can pull the bags off so you can go cruise the boulevard on a Saturday night. And then if you want to take a trip for the weekend, you put the bags back on, put your stuff in there, and you get to go for, uh, you know, if you can go out to Bikes, Blues, and Barbecue or wherever you want to go. If you want to take an out-of-state ride, you've you've got some bags. And so it's a nice kind of combo bike um, from that aspect. Yeah, the switchback was a nice motorcycle. It it has it's very versatile uh being able to take the bags off and it's really easy to take the bags on and off of that motorcycle so if you went somewhere you could take the bags off and take them in like suitcases right yeah um it has really good performance and it rides well um it's lightweight uh, it's the one of the lighter versions of the dynas um i think it all in all it's a really nice motorcycle however the improvements on the milwaukee eight is less like you said it's apples and oranges 
Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the the Road King. I mean, the the engine, the the power is different, but the the way that they designed the engine, the the air cleaner. If you've ever been on a Harley, um, and you're like me, your your right leg always rubs up against the the air cleaner. It feels like you have to kind of keep your legs fairly wide. And I have long legs, but you still have to keep them kind of wide. I don't know what you do on a Harley Davidson. I mean, you're like a hobbit, so. I know, man. <laughs> I've got to, you got to be bow-legged like a cowboy sometimes for me to be able to ride a Harley Davidson. But they are they are wide motorcycles and, and, and have been. But this new design, the way that they, they shaped the air cleaner and it kind of tapers in a little bit. It's cool looking for one thing, but as far as fit and finish, if you will, um, it just makes it the rideability and the comfort on the motorcycle head and shoulders above what it has been previously, in my opinion. The fit and finish is a lot, actually a lot better. Not that there was necessarily anything wrong with fit and finish on Harley Davidson to begin with, but the Milwaukee 8 definitely has a lot better fit and finish. The primary is narrower on it, which makes a lot of difference uh, when you're sitting still, right? Mm-hmm. When you yep. got your left foot on the ground. The air cleaner's tucked in, so you're not trying to bow your leg around the air cleaner when you're riding the motorcycle, whether it's got mid-controls or floorboards or forward controls, either one. But if you notice, the the size of the air cleaner is also larger, but you don't get a lot of air cleaner noise with it like you got with some of the other Stage 1 kind of air cleaner kits with it. Right. And they they changed the seat up a little bit you uh, and uh, if you've ever sat on a road king i mean it's a very comfortable motorcycle uh, all the road kings that i've sat on have been very comfortable but you kind of set up a little bit they've changed the way that, i don't know if they changed the frame a lot but the seat kind of sits down a little more and you sit in the motorcycle more than you have previously at least on that particular model you do you sit down in the bike a little bit more and i think that that will give a, a lot of riders more confidence when they ride the bike. Uh, for me, it was more comfortable from the seat to handlebar reach or yeah. from the seat to the floorboard reach. And if somebody's short on the inseam, I think that will also help with that. Uh, a lot of customers have to put shorter shocks on the motorcycle and sometimes put a lowering kit in the front forks to get the bike down low enough to where they're comfortable with their feet on the ground. The new Road King off the showroom floor gives you that without having to sacrifice ride and wheel travel yeah now as far as the the power and and the feel of the motorcycle i mean it it ran better than any harley davidson i've been on i think it was smoother oh that's that's the other thing we want to talk about it was very smooth wasn't yeah the engine is is smooth but also the transmission is was like a whole other motorcycle no um, more if, clunk yeah if you've ridden a harley and you've gone for that uh first gear that's uh, right <laughs> <laughs> that's gone and they have it they've added a slipper clutch now as well and it's just a completely different ride feeling the slipper clutch is really nice when you're deselling the motorcycle when you're coming up if you're going to downshift for an off-ramp or if you're downshifting in traffic uh it's a lot better you don't have the how the older Harleys had more of a jerk when you let out on the clutch. And when you rolled out of the throttle, Harleys by nature have a lot of engine braking, which for some customers was a little discerning because yeah. it shoved the rider forward. Right. With the slipper clutch, you've taken that away. It's a very smooth ride. Yeah, yeah. Um, with the what feels like a more narrow um, width f- across the engine and where your legs are, it seemed to me like the bike handled a little easier. I mean, especially for a big bike. A Road King is a big, big bike, but you could lean it a little more in the turns, or at least for me it added uh, a comfort level in doing that on such a big motorcycle. It's more stable in a turn than any of the previous Harley-Davidson's. Uh, the front follows the back. If you put it into a turn, before some of the Harleys, you had to physically pull the motorcycle down to make the motorcycle turn. Now, when you roll into a turn, wherever you put it, it'll stay there. You can even roll the throttle on. It'll still stay at that same lean angle. And all you need to do to get the bike to stand up is just set up. And the bike will just smooth, in a smooth manner, follow you up. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about some of the technical aspects, which is, um, you know, they've changed the engine configuration completely. 
yeah it's, it's no longer a clean, twin cam yep. but it's back to a single cam but it has four valves per cylinder which is where they get the term milwaukee eight okay and so explain a little bit for people who may not be familiar what are the differences there from what the previous harley engine was i mean to going from the two valve to the four valve what's that going to do Definitely, it makes the combustion chamber more efficient. So there's where you're going to get your power increase right there from the two valve to the four valve. Also, I think another improvement that they've made is valve angle. Valve angle makes a lot of difference in horsepower delivery. Something that I noticed between the older style engine of the switchback and the new Milwaukee 8 was even though the switchback was 103 inches, still up about 45 to 4800 rpm you could tell that the motorcycle was starting to get close to the end of where it made power and you were going to need to shift the milwaukee 8 builds power noticeable power past that that was a vast improvement uh i think that its ability to draw more air is one with the improved air cleaner along with the four valves they're a dual spark plug cylinder head now so you know that the that the combustion chamber is going to be more efficient with the way that it burns its fuel. Okay. Also, I think that we couldn't get this confirmed, but I think that the primary ratio is better now. Yeah. That's the ratio between the engine and the clutch, and I think that the transmission ratios are better now than they were in the past they're not as far apart even though they both were six speeds i think that the ratios in the transmission is much better it was just overall a uh, a much improved motorcycle a much improved harley davidson and and we've um, kind of talked before about you know harley davidson has kind of been the same you know they make subtle changes here and there but essentially the same engine combination overall look and you know everybody wants a harley and they want the same thing well this is this is different i mean this is this, this is, is a big truly step different. for them it's a huge step and the way that they have the engine balanced now with the they've had counterbalancers in the past okay but i think they've improved on their counterbalancing technology because this doesn't vibrate at all yeah, well, it, and it's a, it's a rubber-mounted engine, which they've been doing for a while, but because of the counterbalancing and the rubber mounts, um, it, it You can makes see it out of the rear-view mirrors, and how novel is that on a Harley, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, was, I was really impressed. I mean, I, I just can't say it enough how impressed I was with, with that motorcycle, and if you get a chance to go out to Iron Nation Harley-Davidson in Edmond and uh, ask for Monty, and he'll hook you up and get you out on a test ride but if you if whether you're a harley fan or you have never been on a harley before and you're looking to get into a harley davidson or you're looking for a new cruiser go ride this motorcycle because it it's really phenomenal both of them are like a light touring motorcycle uh the switchback is more of like a weekend kind of trip motorcycle okay uh, the Milwaukee 8 is truly a mid-sized touring motorcycle, but it could also be very nice just pleasure riding around town or around on the weekends. Uh, it's two distinct motorcycles, like you said, apples and oranges. They both have a very distinct place. But the Milwaukee 8 truly has brought Harley-Davidson way forward with their engine and chassis technology, their transmission technology. And... It's not your typical Harley-Davidson anymore. If there was any hang-ups that a person had about Harley-Davidson's, I think that they should give the Milwaukee 8 a try. I think they might change their mind. Yeah, definitely. Now, the Milwaukee 8, from what we understand, I mean, it's in the Road King, and it's going to be in all of the, the big bikes. So it'll be in the Street Glide, the Road Glide. It's going to be all in all, all of the, the big, big bikes. bikes. All the big bikes will be in the Milwaukee 8. And uh, from what we're hearing, for right now at least, we're not going to see the Milwaukee 8 engine in, um, say, the Cruiser family, the, the Heritage Softail, the Fat Boy, any of the Softails. Um, I'm thinking Super Glide, man. Yeah. I mean, we, we want to see that engine in, uh, in a more nimble I want to see it in a Super Glide. Yeah. 19 inch front wheel, 18 inch back wheel, mid controls. I want to see it in a Super Glide. 
Well, I mean, I guess Col- Colvin Motorcycles could probably get a hold of one of those engines and uh, just throwing that a, out there for Milwaukee. <laughs> <laughs> We're all for that. Just give us a call. We think we yeah. can shoehorn that in there and make it work. Yeah. So uh, do be sure and stop by and uh, talk to Monty and the gang up at Iron Nation Harley Davidson and go go try out the the new Harley, the 2017 models with the Milwaukee Eight. Now, some other information that we found out, which uh, kind of came as a as a surprise, but we also found out that this is the end of the V-Rod in North America, and they've released the 2017 model, and uh, it, they had one on the showroom floor up at Iron Nation. It was really cool looking, and uh, and then we found out that's going to be it. They're doing a short run for 2017, and then no more. I am heartbroken. I really like the V-Rod. Yeah, I think it's obviously never been grasped by the Harley faithful, but it is a very cool motorcycle. I think it's a great-looking and great-running motorcycle, and it seems that you know they haven't really known what to do with it, maybe not how to, to market it effectively. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think there's a place for that motorcycle, and I, I hate to see it go, and they're still going to try to market it in the, in the European market, from what I understand, but uh, we'll look for some more details on, on all of that. But apparently this all came down from the Harley-Davidson dealer show uh, that just took place. I liked the V-Rod they used to make that had mid-controls on it and didn't have the rake triple trees. Mm-hmm. was a hot rod, I believe. Yeah. I really liked that bike. That was a neat muscle bike. Uh, along the same lines as like the Roadstar Warrior or the V-Max. Yeah. And I really hoped that they were going to stay with that. And then they had the Screaming Eagle V-Rod, but then they were back to rake triple trees and forward controls. And I thought that was an unfortunate decision that they had made but still liking the v-rod a lot it it just seems disappointing that it's going to be another really cool motorcycle that's only in the european market yeah and, it, and it's interesting because i mean that was the only water-cooled motorcycle that they had and now that they're coming they've got the xg in racing form and obviously i think developing that to be in street and market models and but now they're going to get rid of the v-rod that has the the water cooling on it to bring in you know other of their more traditional stylings with water-cooled motors probably within the next year or so yeah because right now the only water cool engine they have outside of of like the v-rod and uh, an xg kind of setup is the big tour bikes that just have a water-cooled cylinder head and that's it right and i believe that they only put them in tour bikes because that's they need a lot of room for radiators and so they put all that up on the front uh crash bars on the motorcycle and up in behind the fairing and to me that technology is is very viable but i don't know why that they would why they would 86 that out of the united states and and go to europe it seems like every single time in the united states we have an opportunity to have something neat for a motorcycle it gets banned to europe for some reason yeah well and and it's interesting uh, as we talk about the the u.s models um something that we were talking about the other day off microphone is all of the U.S. manufacturers, or what we consider the U.S. motorcycle companies, are now moving their manufacturing plants um, elsewhere, and it looks like we're going to uh, going to have a lot of South American models coming up. That's right, made in America, but made in the deep South. Yes. Yeah. So we we know that uh, Polaris is moving to Brazil. Is that correct? Or Harley has got a manufacturing plant in Brazil. Okay. They're moving a lot of their manufacturing there. Uh, Can Am is going to Mexico. Uh, I think a lot of their, according to industry news, a lot of their manufacturing is already there. And uh, Polaris has moved a lot of stuff also to Mexico. Yeah. And, of course, Polaris is the parent company for both Victory and Indian motorcycles now. Yeah. And from it's my understanding that the Indian is still going to be here, and I hope it stays here. Yeah. Uh, I really would like to see a big three in the United States being – Harley Davidson, Victory, and Indian. I think that would be really good, but only time will tell, and I guess we'll have to see how that 
pans out in the corporate world. Yeah. Speaking of Indian, we've talked a lot about it. The Indian motorcycles uh, debut in flat track and getting incorporated into, into flat track. And we talked about the announcement of the all-new Wrecking Crew for 2017, which consists of Jared Meese, Brian Smith, and Brad Baker on Indian motorcycles. And uh, just a week or so ago, we got to see Jared Meese put through the Indian uh, FTR 750 through its paces and take his first win on an Indian motorcycle out in Paris, California. Yeah, that guy checked out, did he not? I mean, <laughs> what are your views on that, Jake? Well, Kel Kochman was on a Kawasaki. You know, he was – I think he made a mistake about four or five laps in that definitely, you know, they had him gapped. Um, yeah, watching that, the the footage of that, it was real – I think you and I talked about a little bit yesterday about the readout, um, you know, that that thing had a digital readout that showed you uh, RPM. It had an onboard timer. It had, if I'm not mistaken, it showed you what gear you were in even. Um, There's a lot of rider feedback, I think, that helps a guy in an event uh, to improve if he thinks, if he's not sure how he's riding or how aggressive he is. Yeah, yeah, because with flat track, there's no radio communication. There's no pit boards as you go down the back straightaway so that would uh and up until now no gauges tried a different line for a lap or two you could you could definitely tell on your on your lap times sure that's information that's never been available to the rider before you always had to come in and had to have somebody keep time for you Hmm. and you think that's a good thing or a bad thing i think for an experienced rider it's a good thing i mean i use a tachometer and i like it but there are some guys that that have trouble focusing from the from the tech well and i'm thinking more uh, along the lines of is it good for the sport or bad for the sport i mean the the cool thing about to me about the flat track racing is is the heritage there and obviously you want to see things progress uh at a certain extent but to start including more and more electronics and everything is that going to detract i mean we've seen what's happened in other forms of racing with all of the electronics have been added and i guess you can't get away from it in fact i just saw something that uh moto gp has enhanced their dash readout and they're now going to be able to send signals to the riders through their um basically a texting mechanism uh that they'll have a readout on their dash so they can tell them you know lap times it's time to pit obviously the moto gp officials will be able to send messages through that you know a yellow yellow is out or whatever whatever messages oh, wow. they need to send but it's a whole new system that they're going to be incorporating in moto gp now yeah that follows suit from a lot of the car racing technology yeah. that they that they put out there but um what are your thoughts jake i mean i think that the small amount of information that's on the indian uh i don't think it's a a huge advantage well i don't think it's any advantage at all i mean it's it's just uh bringing everything into one you know lot, like i said lots of guys keep track of their times this is just giving you a readout and no i mean the ama and the the uh dmg or who you know the the people in charge of flat track now is you know they, they don't allow any kind of electronics or traction control or you know anything like that right now so yeah, i don't think you're going to see it anytime soon yeah no, just engine management, maybe just so it helps the rider know RPM, which helps whether you're not turning enough RPM or you're over revving the motor and a small amount of, of timekeeping for the rider just to glance at, I don't think is, is just for, for the rider himself personal. to know. Yeah, yeah. Just for personal. Well, what I thought was interesting watching uh, some video, they took some video of that Indian early in the day and it was the kind of track where you really had to, uh, pole putt, for lack of better words, around the corners. There wasn't a lot of corner speed because um, the corners were really tight. Um, but whatever changes they made from the start of the day to the main event, because Jared was struggling, you know, mm-hmm. in practice and, and maybe even in his heat, but uh, they had that thing dialed in where it, it didn't even hardly spin a tire and it looked like it went wherever it wanted to go. Yeah, it pulled really good. And like you said, uh, when the race settled in, he checked out. Yep, yep. Well, it's certainly going to be interesting to watch what unfolds for 2017 with those guys all on the same team and with the Indians. And uh, I know we talked about it on, on the previous show, but having Jake in here who's got a, a little bit uh, – 
his ear more to the ground when it comes to the flat track racing. And a lot of big announcements came out at the uh, at the awards banquet with American flat track being one of them and, and the new changes to the format. And then, of course, the announcement of, of the Indian team. So uh, just real quick, Jake, what are your thoughts and feelings about the new the new program for 2017? Uh, I mean, all I can say is I, I guess I can understand what they're doing. I can understand the format. They're they're trying to get the main stars, if you will, the um, you know the front runners more more time uh, in front of the fans, you know, to put on a better show. You know, time will tell. To be honest with you, right now with the the current format they have, I don't think there's enough active riders to um, to fill out a, a grid. Right, you know, right now in their to support an, an elimination form. format. Yeah, if you, will. if you take their format that they're proposing right now that they're going to do for 2017, if you were to use that same format at the final race in Santa Rosa, Brad Baker wouldn't have made the main event. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, because he broke in the in he the first broke heat, in his race. heat race. Yeah, yeah. yeah and wonder, that would be uh, that'll be a shame. And I'm I would bet that we see some modifications. Yeah, maybe to a that. last chance qualifier. Yeah, or I would a, think so. You know, um, something to. I mean, because if you and you know it's going to happen uh, sooner rather than well, maybe not sooner rather than later. But I mean, you know, Baker had problems with with his Harley quite a few times this year. We saw Jared Meese have some bike issues at, at, at a race or two. You know, the first time those guys, especially with the new Indian team, if they had any problems and don't don't qualify for so, a race, so it's a double edged sword. They want to see they want to see the riders, you know, uh, in front of the fans more. But if that rider has a problem, they don't get to see him at all. Yeah. yeah, they've adopted more like a sprint car kind of format now. We yeah. have like a B main and an A main or Yeah, well, but even still, you know, there are opportunities for for those drivers if it, you know, if in a heat race in a sprint car your your car breaks, you come out in a B or C and and then have at least an opportunity to work your way back through um with the like Jake said, with the format now, I mean, you're if not going to have that. If Brad Baker breaks in in the heat race, he's done. That's, That's right. it. Um, you know, so I kind of think they they might at least come up with. I like the the idea of a last chance qualifier or something mm-hmm. like that. You know, even if it were a um, a shorter field or something like that, sure. you take uh, you know six guys or whatever and put them in a last chance qualifier That's and right. give them an opportunity. I don't know. It'll be fun to watch. Yeah the the way that they've got it set up now is is like we said, a little bit towards the sprint car deal. And in the early heat races, you can actually, if you mess up, you could come back, mm-hmm. right, in another in another event. But this is almost like a one-and-done kind of deal. Yeah. There's been a lot of big news, of course, in motocross and supercross. There's been uh, – it's the silly season in that realm. And so we have uh, – seen recently if you haven't kept up with all of the news ken roxon made the official announcement that he is with team honda hrc and uh, we also have had the announcement that oklahoma zone trey canard who has been with honda hrc for years and years and years has made the move to red bull ktm and that's going to be a new environment for for canard he will be teammates with ryan dungey and marvin muscan over there, filling a space uh, left open by Dean Wilson, who's moved on. And uh, who else do we have? We've got a lot of guys that don't have rides right now, and including the Stewart brothers, who still have not come out with any kind of announcements for any any possibilities for 2017. Uh, we've also just recently had the announcement that Joe Gibbs Racing Motocross, who has been affiliated with Yamaha since their inception, if I'm not mistaken, uh, at least since the late 90s, um, they are moving from Yamaha to Suzuki. And so we'll see Justin Barsha and Weston Pike and Phil Nicoletti on Suzuki's for 2017 instead of the familiar blue JGR Yamahas. And there's a lot of uh, interest in what that's going to to do for those guys and whether that's good or bad because apparently from what, uh, from what I understand, the Yamahas have more power, but the Suzuki's have more cornering ability. Uh, but ultimately this came down to not just a money thing, but more of a just a, a relationship and time to make a change and and that sort of thing. So, uh, you know, we've seen Joe Gibbs Racing in NASCAR change brands, and that's certainly not uncommon in 
um, the NASCAR realm, and we see it happen in, in motocross and supercross also, but this was a big deal. I mean, JGR has been affiliated with Yamaha for a long time. When there was not a Yamaha factory team, the Joe Gibbs Racing Team was kind of the default factory team for Yamaha, if you will. And that could have had something to do with it now that uh, Yamaha is back with a factory effort and, uh, you know, with Chad Reed and Cooper Webb. And uh, also there's some speculation there that I guess, and, and I wasn't really aware of this. I mean, Cooper Webb is obviously from North Carolina, which is where Joe Gibbs Racing is based. And they had helped him along through some of his amateur time. And I think there was maybe some, um, well, probably more than hope. There had probably been some discussions that Cooper Webb would come to the Joe Gibbs racing team when he went to a 450, and then Yamaha scooped him up for their factory team. So a lot of interesting things, and, you know, you hear the scuttlebutt and such that happens uh, behind the scenes. But, uh, you know, a lot of new faces on new rides for 2017 in Supercross and motocross. So that's going to be fun to watch. But probably more importantly is a lot of really good riders right now that don't have a a solid ride for, for 2017 yet. That's usually at the end of the season, you'll see a lot of that. And throughout the off season, you'll hear a lot of rumors and this guy's going to go to this new team or this rider's leaving this team and going to another team and somebody doesn't have a ride. And nine times out of ten, that all balances out. Yeah. Um, Ryan Dungey, who got hurt in the motocross season, he made his return to racing. He was over in Europe uh, for the the new Manufacturers Cup is what they're calling it, Riders and Manufacturers Cup, and he ended up winning the whole thing, and KTM won the Manufacturers Cup because it was Dungey and Muscan, and then um, is it Tim Geyser that rides for KTM over there? Yeah, so they uh, they pretty much dominated over there. But m- most importantly, Dungey back on the bike, looking healthy, and back to his winning ways immediately. So 2017, you've got uh, Dungey on a KTM, Kennard on the KTM, and uh, – Roxon on the new Honda and Eli Tomac getting settled in with Kawasaki plus Chad Reed and Cooper Webb with the factory Yamaha team. So um, the it's going to be a who's who next year. Yeah, it? It, it'll be good. It'll be fun to watch some Supercross coming up in, in January, which is really not that far off anymore before Anaheim happens. All right. In other uh, assorted news and information, did you happen to see the release that BMW put out about their new Tron cycle? Uh, Tron cycle. <laughs> That uh, And there's videos that have been popping up kind of all over the place of this thing that is uh, self-stabilizing. You can't tip it over. You can't crash it. They say there's no more need for a helmet, and all you need are these uh, glasses, these what they call a, a yeah, visor. Yeah, a visor. That has all of the heads-up display, and you won't crash or fall or anything anymore. Yeah. What do you think about that? I'm out. (laughs) (laughs) Based on? Based on their videos, I'm just out. It's like like being three years old on a motorcycle and having an overbearing parent. (laughs) (laughs) But you don't have to wear a helmet. Uh, Yeah, you know, it to me. To me, they've taken a lot of – they've tried to make it safer, and hats off to them, and maybe there's a lot of technology that they put into this motorcycle that can be put into industry in other areas to help with motorcycle safety, yeah. and that's fine. But to me, they've just taken the human element out of it. You're just along – almost just along for the ride anymore. Yeah, and, and I mean we should point out, obviously, if you haven't seen this thing, that it is a concept vehicle and – um, in my views, not very attractive. <laughs> <laughs> it is it is completely different. It does resemble a Tron light cycle, uh, which just for that alone makes it kind of cool. But, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a novelty type deal. I would be shocked to see any – thing like that to actually come out on the market anytime in in the near future but no they boast about it coming out in a short amount of time i don't know what version and it's electric and i'm not don't get me wrong some of the electric technology i think is cool and it's heavy they're still struggling with weight in the electric world and they're still struggling with like range in the electric world okay Mm -hmm. um i think that for a backup or an assist like if something happened and you could limp it home kind of deal but 
Uh, I still think they need to issue Tron helmets, though, with yeah. the Tron cycle yeah. here. Well, speaking of electric, I mean, Bol- I, I, I sent you something. Boltaco just came out with an electric off-road kind of thing. Um, yeah, and there's a few there's a few other companies that have come out with some electric off-road motorcycles. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple of companies that have actually put them into some Endurocross and some regional outdoor uh, motocross events. How about the Grand Prix Hot Shoe Series Electric Showdown? <laughs> I don't know. We got to talk to Jake flat, about that. Flat track electric bikes. Well, they got electric speedway bikes now. So yeah, yeah. I guess if, if uh, enough people build them, we'll race anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about the VDTRA, Jake. Since we've we've got you here, uh, we had the event at West Siloam Springs a few weeks ago, and now uh, you're getting ready to go out to. Albuquerque, New Mexico, for the final race of the season. But as the uh, promoter of the event and kind of getting in there for the first time and holding an event, uh, how'd it go for you? I think, it, I mean, it was definitely successful. It was successful in a lot of ways. It was successful for the uh, uh, the track owner, you know, and the, it was successful for a lot all the riders because we had a really good track. Um, you know, we made a few mistakes behind the scenes, Uh you know, little stumbling blocks, but nothing that we didn't learn from and, and look forward to rolling over, you know, everything that we learned and all the positive into our last race coming up here in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico next weekend. Yeah, so October 22nd and 23rd, you're going to have a double header out in Albuquerque. And from what I understand, uh, that's a really great track that you're going to be in. It's a great track. It's a big clay, three-eighths, banked. Um, the Charlie Fagan, the, the guy that owns the track over there, is uh, – he knows that track better than anybody, that dirt, and uh, it will be a lot of fun and very, very racy and very, very safe. And and the cool thing about it, too, is they also have a short track, a, a smaller track in the middle of that that we're going to run at the same time. We're going to actually oh, wow. run – that's part of the, the New Mexico Dirt Track Association, the NMDA. Um, their local club races, they race on the short track except for one class that you know runs on the big track. So the VDTRA and the Grand Prix Hot Shoe Series will come in. We'll, we're going to promote the race on the big track. And then uh, anybody that wants seat time, we're going to let them ride the short track for like $20. Nice. So there's going to be a lot of racing and a lot of seat time going on. Hmm. I wish I could get to Albuquerque. <laughs> <laughs> Just tell the wife you got to go. No, it's know, not that. I have, a, I have another obligation. I have to do some work here in town and can't, can't get away on that weekend. But Tell them you're sick. Call yeah. hello. <laughs> do the Ferris Bueller thing. Right. I'm very sick. <laughs> No. Uh, well, I, I hope it's, it sounds like it's going to be just a great event, and um, I'm, I'm sure you're going to have a good turnout. Everybody that I saw and talked to you, at the event at West Salem Springs, you know, seemed happy, and and I know I had a lot of fun, and uh, I think the classes are going to continue to grow. And I was really most impressed, I think, by the amount of um, kind of the the pro single guys that you had there. You had mm-hmm. a great class of those guys and some really good riders out there uh, competing in that in that class. Yeah, I mean, if I you know I can only think of three or four. Maybe five guys, you know, in the Oklahoma, Arkansas, um, Texas area that didn't make it to the race. Um, you know, we had a, a really good turnout, and, and there really is a good crop of riders coming up um, that are very fast. Yeah. It'll be a lot of fun, and uh, I know you're excited or terrified, one or the other, for 2017, uh, but I'm excited. I think it's going to be a lot of fun to see the events and, and see – uh, I think we saw some guys come out on the on the hooligan class, and I think you're going to see more hooligan bikes uh, get put together as a result of, of what they saw at that race, and uh, I think that's going to be a lot of fun. You're exactly right. The hooligan thing, uh, you're going to see it growing. It's already growing really fast. And another thing right along with that um, is the Mad Dog bike. Um, you know, the, the XR100s and the TTR125s and – and these are adults that ride, you know, mini bikes essentially, and that that's getting very big and very popular yeah. right now. Why is that? <laughs> it's I, I mean, for me, where I grew up, we used them to train in the wintertime. Really? I mean, okay. Coming from Wyoming, there's you know six feet of snow outside, but we always could go find a barn and we could ride our mini bikes inside. Okay. And I think that's you know now all the Colin Edwards camps and the super camps and anybody that teaches dirt track is teaching on these mini bikes. Yeah. 
so it's not just a, a cost-effective kind of thing, although it's that's got to we be We were talking about that today. You know, to build a – I mean, if you're going to build one to go travel and go race, you're probably going to spend just about as much money. You know, racing is not expensive. Right. It's winning that gets yeah. expensive. <laughs> that's expensive is winning. Absolutely it is. Yeah. So speaking of winning – we haven't talked uh, about Speedway yet, and gosh, I can't let a show go by without talking about Speedway GP, but the final event of the season is coming up in Melbourne, Australia, and uh, our man Greg Hancock is leading the points by 11 points over Jason Doyle, and unfortunately, and I really do mean this unfortunately, uh, Jason Doyle was injured in um, the race in Torin, Poland, uh, the previous event, I mean, and injured badly. If you had, did not see uh, what went down there, I mean, he took a, a hard shot that was basically he was just a, a victim of circumstances. Chris Harris had to to get off of his bike and let the bike go, and the bike kind of shuffled over into Doyle, knocked him off of his bike, and he slid full speed underneath the air fence, uh, shattered his elbow, dislocated his shoulder, punctured a lung. And uh, suffered some fairly serious injuries. I mean, fortunately, they you know he was conscious and all of that, and and okay, and is recuperating, but certainly not able to make the final race of the season, which is too bad because he had been he'd won three races in a row going into Torin, and was had just taken the points lead as well. But as a result of that accident, Hancock was able to take the points lead back. And uh, Doyle won't be able to be there to to battle for the points championship. And I think that would have made for a really incredible final event of the season for the Speedway GP series. Now you've got Ty Woffenden in third place, and I believe he's 19 points back from Hancock, but only one point ahead of Bartos Smarslik, who is he's absolutely one of my favorite riders to watch and i don't know what it is about him but he is he seems so aggressive on the motorcycle and it just does these incredible moves from time to time and then he's he's got this little tiny voice and he kind of talks talks like latka off of uh, the taxi <laughs> i mean just because of the way that he you know he he's from poland and his broken english which is pretty good but i mean i don't know he's just he's just seems like a character to me in a way and a young rider very talented um if you've seen any of the i've been getting into the um watching some of the like the british uh Speedway British series. League, Speedway the British leagues, uh, the Elite League and the Premier League, and he does really well over there. And uh, all the team stuff—it's just a blast to watch. I just, I still, for the life of me, don't understand why we cannot get this particular sport going in the United States because it is so popular in Europe and so fun to watch. And uh, I just can't say enough about it. I'm, I'm nuts over it right now. Back in the Kelly Moran days and the. Bruce Penhall days and Bobby Schwartz days, there was a lot of that on television, and I grew up wanting to do it. I actually wanted to do that instead of dirt track, but being from Oklahoma, there was one place basically that they did it here. Anybody from Oklahoma will remember a track called Limestone Run, and Mm -hmm. they ran speedway bikes there, and I got a very short, narrow opportunity to ride there, but it seemed like as soon as it was here, it was gone and it was gone from us television also and now it's basically a west coast thing and it's probably one of the best well-kept secrets in motorsports that and dirt having said that dirt track is that way too though if there's anybody listening to this particular program that um has some money that they would like to invest in something new and exciting i would love to put together a a speedway series kind of based here regional something or at least have a a a track and try to build up some riders around here and then maybe bring in some of the california guys from time to time or do something to get this sport going in the united states i'm just i just don't have the funding (laughs) which is is kind of the key to everything that i try to do but i think speedway is is very underexposed in the united states anymore and it's a shame i think that that and dirt track both offer a lot for crowd entertainment from a promoter side but from a rider's aspect i think there's a lot of guys that are missing out on something that's a lot of fun to do yeah it uh, it looks really exciting um 
I'm, and I'm sure because you've ridden, you you know that it is, and uh, it would be it would be fun. I just it would just be great to see see some more of that going on, and that's one of the reasons I'm so excited about what Jake's doing with the VDTRA is to get more of this style of racing going on around around our part of the country, which again we're based in Oklahoma City, and uh, you know so we're going to see more flat track motorcycle racing going on around here in Texas and Arkansas uh, than we've seen in a long time. But, you know, fortunately, you know, Jake's going to even grow that. And as we talked, if you go back and listen to a couple of shows back when Jake was on before, I mean, we were going to see the VDTRA in conjunction with uh, the Sturgis rally in 2017. And, uh, Lots of other cool stuff coming up there. So keep your eyes on his website, which is vdtra.org, and uh, also the Facebook page for VDTRA, and you can keep up with everything that's going on there. And then, obviously, if you listen to this show, we try to keep you apprised of all the flat track and both the uh, American flat track. It's going to take a little bit to get used to saying that instead of the American flat track series. Yeah. Uh, but VDTRA and American Flat Track and uh, everything that's going on. And, uh, you know, if there's something else that you'd, you want to hear us talk about, if you're more into road racing motorcycle, motorcycles, we'd love to talk more about that. Let us know. Send us an email, uh, powersportspodcast at gmail.com, and, or you can comment on our uh, Facebook page. Please go like our Facebook page and, and put some comments there. Let us know what you like, what you don't like. Uh, if you want two new ho, <coughs> excuse me, if you want a host that can speak <laughs> or two new hosts, um, I don't know that I can help you there because I don't know that you could find anybody else to do this for the the amount of money that I'm not making. So, <laughs> <laughs> But the view from the studio is beautiful. Yes. Yeah, we are on the, uh, the 30th top, floor the of the Power Sports Podcast. I have the for radio. Yeah, yeah. Jake, well, <laughs> both of you do. If you've, if you've never seen Eric before, well, we've got – we've posted videos, so – not those kind of videos. It would be easier for you to get confused. I'm going off on a whole other direction here now. I'm just going to stop. I'm just going to say that I only look like this person from the waist down. <laughs> All right. Let's reel this in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Gosh. It's pretty bad when Jake is the voice of reason in the room. Before we get out of here, let's say, let's say one more thing. Yes. In the American Dirt Track Series – all of the changes that are being made. We've got Indian in. We've got more marquees racing now than ever before. We've got Kawasaki that is now a dominant force where it was struggling before. We've got a new name, and they're changing the race format. And we're also going to run twin-cylinder motorcycles in a manner that we haven't before, like on scrambles and stuff. So what do you think in the future this is going to bring to the sport? Is it is it a total upset to the sport? You think it's going to make the sport stronger? You think it's going to push forward some technology? What do you think is going to happen? Uh, I'm on the fence about the whole thing. I mean, ever since they they came out with the announcement, which you know for reasons, uh, I, th- I think they should have waited uh, after the race at Santa Rosa, but that's just me. Um, uh, I think it's it's to be honest with you, a, a lipstick on a pig. As far as I'm concerned, I mean, I think the uh, it's going to be the same bunch of people doing the same bunch of stuff, um, just in a different way. Just in a different way. I mean, maybe time you know time will tell and it'll be different. But uh, my faith in the system, if you will, um, has grown very weary as of late for that organization. Well, what about organizations as a whole, either one of you, as far as changes goes? There's been kind of a lot of of changes. If you'll remember in Top Fuel not too long ago, you were going to run two pumps and then one pump, and they were going to not let you drive the supercharger as much, and then they went from a full quarter back to a 1,000 feet. And so as a whole, what do you think, change for the sake of change or – they're just trying to increase promotion or what? Well, a lot of that change for the NHRA when that came down was reactionary. And, and yeah, I don't to, think to the that Colette was – accident. I don't think those were – what they did did not accomplish what they said it would. And I don't think it was ever going to accomplish what they said it would. Um and I think it was just in reaction. They felt like they had to do something, and that was the quickest and easiest thing that they could do. Um, I would like to see 
them make some of the engine changes that that you just kind of brought up, going back to a single mag or you know turning the blower drive down a little bit. I mean, if you want to slow the cars down slow the cars down don't shorten the track and and i know there's there are some tracks that uh quite frankly with the speeds they were running um well even still at a thousand foot are dangerous but certainly pulling back from 1320 to a thousand foot helped uh i think about columbus ohio and if 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 you've never been to that track or watched on TV that track, I mean, they shut down the county road. The county road is part of the shutdown area. You go, uh, you cross the finish line, you go up a slight incline, then you go across the county road and into a field where they've put some asphalt before you get to the sand trap. And if you make it through the sand trap, then you're out in a cornfield or wheat field or whatever kind of field they have up up there um you know so shortening the track in that aspect was probably good now do they need to shorten the the super tracks i mean you think about texas motorplex las vegas motor speedway chicago did that accomplish anything not in my opinion it didn't uh you know you've got a quarter mile of shutdown area if if something goes wrong at 330 miles an hour there's not going to be a whole lot that you can do about it and if you want to make the cars go slower then let's actually do something to make the cars go slower um you know and this is an argument that that's been going on now for for years in regards to nhra but um what about motorsports as a whole? A lot of the changes we've had huge changes in 2016, and it's seemed like it's it's across the the board. They're trying to increase television coverage. They're trying to increase the abilities for teams to make money. They're trying to sell the series on television more. Yeah, and I think all those are good things. And I do think you have to make some changes to do that. And and I don't have the insight that Jake has about what's going on with. Uh, Flat, flat track. track racing. Um, when I saw the announcements, I I think some of the things are good. I mean, I like the rebranding, um, you know, and I understand that they're trying to separate themselves a little bit from AMA as the, you know, kind of political organization. And I think that's good. Um, you know, the format, I kind of agree with, with Jake. I mean, there I, I anticipate, as we talked about earlier, that they're going to have to tweak that a little bit to make that work. Because the, the first time that one of the marquee names doesn't make, you know, the, the main event, um, <laughs> somebody's going to be upset, you know, especially if they're eliminated in, in the first heat race because of a, a bike failure or something like that. So they're going to end up having to make some changes there. Um, I don't know about the, you know, going to the twins and the singles. I mean, personally, as a uh, probably a little more than casual fan, I mean, I, I like the idea. I'm excited to see what happens there. Uh, it'll be interesting to see the the twins on a tt track i mean i've i know they've, they've done that before back in kind of back in the day but uh it'll be interesting to see some of the modern bikes yeah, and i don't you know i don't think that's a lot of what my problem is is that they're running twins everywhere and you'll have to run leathers and uh the, the biggest problem with me is is the way they went about making the rule changes so you had a lot of gnc2 guys uh, that have spent a lot of money in you know in building a twin cylinder right. equipment that now they're not going to be able to run and right. uh, the financial and the and the rules package and and that timeline is is what I've got the biggest problem with yeah and I, I and I completely understand that I mean and I don't know you know what was going on behind the scenes if these guys had any kind of uh, advanced notice that hey I know you've been putting all this money into a, a twin so you can run the mile tracks and everything but now you're not going to be able to do that and so this you know uh, Harley <laughs> XR750 that you've put all this money in right. to run GNC2 on the mile tracks you know you're going to have to get rid of that now or you can step it up so yeah, I can see where that puts the teams in a bind there was a time uh, when I was writing on the AMA series that you would get letters weekly from the AMA in the mail and you can run this now and you couldn't run it before or we made all this change and myself saving money to to buy the parts to make the change and before you could go race the bike now you get a letter oh no we're not going to do that anymore that has to be frustrating for teams yeah, yeah. yeah I mean I if they would have offered some options there and i don't know if they have or or haven't but you know maybe offer the the gnc2 
two guys, you know, some sort of option of, uh, you know, at least making a choice that on some of the mile tracks, if they wanted to run, you know, at that particular event, you know, they give them an option to do that. I don't know. I mean, but you got to, as a sanctioning body, I think you have to keep in mind, you know, the financial investment mm-hmm. that your teams, especially on, uh, and while we're talking about a pro-level motorsport, uh, AMA Pro Flat Track or American Flat Track is not bringing in the kind of sponsorship money, both from a rider level or an organizational level, that NASCAR is bringing in. NASCAR is not even bringing in the kind of sponsorship money that they were bringing in, you know, five or six years ago when, or or a little more than that, when the market was good and they were experiencing their big boom and and, and you know, Bristol was having a hundred thousand people pack grandstands and all of the races were sold out and things like that. I mean, it's not that's that case right now uh, in motorsports. You know, I, I don't want to say that it's having a hard time uh, because I think we're still you know enjoying the the ability to to have those sports and there's still sponsors that are investing money and, and investing big sums of money but to not take into consideration the what your riders are doing again at this level and the amount of financial investment they have i think is probably a mistake yeah i agree totally agree but it seems like that the racing organizations as a whole do so much thinking that it's going to help the sport when in fact it's like they don't think it through and it actually hinders it in a lot of ways don't you think yeah yeah it financially crushes the you know the average racer yeah and to be honest the the privateer level riders or guys that are just race on weekends actually are what make the field yeah yeah 95 percent of these guys have nine to five jobs and you know, work during the week and try to put their own programs together to make this isn't, there's only a handful of guys that are, that's all they do is race flat track and make a living doing so. Yeah. Another nice thing about speedway racing in Europe is apparently there are so many series and so many tracks that they can race almost anywhere every day of the week from the looks of things. I mean, because you, you, they're doing, uh, you know, team races there, uh, throughout the week, you know, on weekdays, they're doing the, uh, the GPs if they're on the GP level, um, you know, those are on Saturdays, and then they have, you know, twins events and or pairs events. Pairs events, yeah. Uh, all kinds of stuff going on over there. Plus, they're riding in different leagues in different countries. There's the British uh, leagues, and then there's the Polish leagues, and there's Swedish leagues. And so, and a lot of these guys, I mean, you think about a Greg Hancock who's riding in the Swedish league and the Polish league, I think. And then you have, you know, Jason Doyle, who's running, I think I just saw that he signed something new for a Polish league and a British league team uh, for 2017. So they have plenty of options to get out and race. And the amount of people that come out any day of the week is phenomenal over there for anything, not just Speedway. But if you have car racing or motorcycle racing, either one, it could be road racing, cars or motorcycles. It could be even trials events. It's amazing the amount of people that that show up for that, that – don't do it here so to me it's a little confusing that you have a lot of racing here that actually like some of the formula one well moto gp i still am ancient enough to call it formula one motorcycles <laughs> but is going to leave texas and that is a world event that was gonna that's going to be gone from austin that was there that you can't just go anywhere and see and it's just I don't know, it was just kind of discerning that somebody would want to sit home and play Xbox or something and actually go see something. Well, and that's the, kind of the same deal, and I think we talked about it on a previous show with the uh, the MXGPs that uh, Leaving were – Leaving Glen Helen. Yeah, they were scheduled um, to run for 2017, and the Motocross Donations was going to be at Glen Helen for 2017, and they pulled all of those events uh, because they, they were not attended well compared to – the Lucas Oil Outdoor Motocross Series. And, you know, that is, it's kind of odd because, I mean, obviously Southern California is the the hub of... It's like the mecca of motorsports. Yeah, motocross especially. And for them to not get out and support that that event to the level that the events are pulled uh, is just crazy to me. And and again, I, I think we've touched on it, but you know, are we as Americans so jaded <laughs> that that we don't want to support any kind of uh, foreign-based sport or, you know, something that doesn't – is not full of American riders? Um, 
you know, and we see some of the American riders at the at the MXGPs, but you know, we certainly this year didn't see uh, Eli Tomac went out and won everything. But you know, you didn't have Dungey, Dungey, you didn't have Roxon, you didn't have some of the other big names. And is that a? And I understand those guys are just coming off of an extremely long season of Supercross and Motocross back to back, and we may not want to go out and ride a race that they don't have to ride, but. You know, because of that, are we? Did they lose those events completely because those marquee names weren't out there? I think it's interesting for another episode to talk about that the riders' perspective of of their given sport and promoters' perspectives of the sports that they promote and organizational changes that's being made, and then the fan base. I think that's interesting. And if anybody out there has got an opinion, let us know about it. Yes, and you can do that by emailing powersportspodcast at gmail.com or commenting on our Facebook page once again. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter or comment to us on Twitter. And Stitcher Radio. Yeah, well, you can listen at Stitcher Radio. You can listen on iTunes. You can go to oklahomatalking.co and uh, listen to the show there and also comment there if you're interested. You and come by I, the shop and yell at Jake. You can come by the shop and yell at Jake. If you can find Jake at the shop, he has to. You, you have to kind of run through the gauntlet to be able to get to where Jake is at the shop. Yeah, we so. keep him in the back. It's safer that way. <laughs> That's right. All right. Well, we'll uh, we'll wrap this up. Jake, thanks for uh, coming in and hanging out with us today and giving us your thoughts on uh, everything going on yeah, in the world of flat track. And good luck out in Albuquerque. If you are in the New Mexico area or just want to go out and watch some great flat track racing, head on out to Albuquerque, New Mexico for the VDTRA event. You can find out all about that at VDTRA.org and on the VDTRA Facebook page. Again, you can listen to us uh, at OklahomaTalking.co and uh, send us a message. Say hi. Yes, YouTube. Uh, <laughs> Eric's make, doing sign language over here. Yes, please go visit the Power Sports Podcast YouTube channel. We'll, be, uh, we'll have video and photos of the, uh, the Harley Road King that we talked about earlier in the show. And uh, we'll put that up on the YouTube channel. Just search for Power Sports Podcast on YouTube. And you can find us there as well. So, for Jake Latimer, Eric Colvin... I'm Jason Baffrey. This is the Power Sports Podcast, and we are out of here.